Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Well, across the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com. And across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator, it is the largest statewide radio show in Alaska, the Michael Duke Show. Hi. How, <clears throat> hi, how are you? Good morning and welcome to the program. It is Tuesday. Who brought the tacos? I hope you did because... Dang, man. Now I'm hungry. Uh, Good morning and welcome to the program. Tuesday is uh, not only Taco Day, it is the time to discuss uh, some deeper matters. It is the weekly top three. Uh, Brad Keithley with Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets is going to be joining us here in just a little bit this morning. We're going to be talking with him about, uh, well, some some interesting stuff, including some comparatives. Uh, he uh, has got uh, some thoughts on what's going on with the Alaska legislature's uh, uh, overall behavior uh, over this last session, and he's got some comparisons to Hollywood. Also want to talk about some important differences, as he sees it, between the sales taxes and the income tax proposals and more, and then also uh, how we move forward on oil taxation Those are all the big three topics that we're going to be discussing today. Uh, Then we'll do a little bit of recap at the top of hour one. Usually I go a little deeper on my dive, um, uh, my thoughts on the weekly top three. Sometimes we take phone calls and stuff. We'll uh, We'll see how that goes. And then we'll be joined by none other than Chris Story, the man from Homer, who will come in and give us a weekly life coaching lesson and we'll talk with him about um well all the stuff that's all the stuff that's fit to print he's got he's got some thoughts he's got some thoughts and we're going to talk about uh we're going to talk about that with him here um this morning uh it's going to be it's going to be fun going to be a fun discussion and a fun day it will probably end up and finish up with uh some phone calls or uh, i don't know something uh, some something Even else uh, that uh, we're gonna I don't know whatever it is we'll 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 have that last segment to do what we want to do with. All right, so that is um, that's the lineup for today, uh, and we're looking forward to it. And hopefully, we can dive down into uh, some good stuff and uh, <clears throat> get some discussions. But first, we got some got some headlines. We got some headlines, man. Taxation is the theme. Taxation is the theme for um, this legislature, which uh, I guess if it's part of a overall fiscal plan makes some kind of sense. But at the same time, we're starting to see some other ones come up, including a new bill, which we're going to get into here in a minute from Forrest Dunbar, uh, that is 
the war on the poor. That's what uh, that's what uh, Suzanne Downing calls it. The war on the poor. Now, interestingly enough, it didn't seem like anybody else picked up on this bill. So we're going to talk about uh, that. Uh, we're going to take a little bit of a look at the analysis of what happened inside the city of Anchorage with their elections. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Anchorage is kind of the weird the weird stepchild. They hold their elections in the spring instead of all, like all the other municipalities in the state and the boroughs where they hold it in the fall. So the uh, election cycle just finished up here in the uh, in the south central area down in Anchorage and it's not been a good look. Not been a good time for the city. The status quo uh kind of continues. So we're going to have some uh, a look at that and a little bit of analysis and finally it it seems like that they are catching on to what I've been saying for a long time that one of the reasons why we're having such a hard time in the state of Alaska is uh, that the Republican Party has been in basically a nothing burger for a long time in this state. <clears throat> and finally, apparently, I'm not the only one who's saying it. So <laughs> we'll have some uh, analysis of that. What else did I have to go on here? Um, oh, there's another. Yep, there's another income tax proposal, which I'm sure Brad's going to get into. Elise Galvin, uh, former congressional uh, candidate, uh, now a representative, introduced a new bill to reimpose a state income tax. Um, and so that will be up on the uh, agenda as well. Uh, Cliff Grow has got an oil and gas property tax piece. Uh, there's also another bill for uh, oil taxes. As well, that Wilkowski has been talking about. <sighs> and the House finalizes their budget amendments, but it still has not, um, it is still not uh, voted to move it over to the, uh, still is not voted to move it over to the Senate. Um, and there's some interesting comments on the floor uh, that I think. Uh, bear listening to. So there's a lot of stuff to talk about this morning. A lot of stuff to talk about this morning. Um, I guess we'll start with the last one first since I'm right here already. Um, the the uh, House of Representatives did finalize all the amendments to the operating budget uh, last week. They were supposed to hold a vote on the overall budget bill yesterday, but uh, it didn't really it didn't really happen. I have to kind of chuckle because <clears throat> the minority has gotten really good about, um, you know, li their little soundbite comments and everything else. And of course, the news, the newspaper picks all that up. I had to laugh when they talk about the use of the CBR vote and how it's the <clears throat> only way the minority can get things done and how by tying this is the newspaper now, the newspaper saying this, by tying the uh, any kind of vote to the uh, to the CBR vote, to a vote from their savings account, which requires a three-quarter majority instead of a simple majority, that they uh, are holding certain types of spending hostage on that. Now, when the minority voted to cut your dividends or to pay 
uh, half of the $2,700 dividend from the CBR, that wasn't being seen as being held hostage. That wasn't, no. But when school funding being held hostage, that's that's the newspaper's language, um, that's uh, and and of course they're he's they're quoting the Democrats and the and the minority there. That's something that they're doing there, but they're very happy to use that language. You know, somebody else uses the language and they don't really quote it that much. They make it sound like, oh, that's just you guys are crazy talk. Anyway, um, the minority uh, came back on Thursday. They uh, apologized for the escalating tensions. Um, uh, Fairbanks Democrat Ashley Carrick apologized Thursday for escalating tensions after she made a motion to be excused from voting on the education amendment. Um, Will Stapp made a similar apology after he slammed his microphone down. He got a little agitated, apparently. It was pretty heated. It was pretty heated overall. But I have to laugh because it comes back over here and the news miner, excuse me, the uh, uh, Daily News continues to report During Thursday's largely smooth floor session, majority members said there was a commitment for extra one-time funding and that debates about a permanent school funding increase would likely come next year. They've been saying that from the very beginning, I'll be honest with you. They're always saying that this increase, although many Democrats and many minority members and many even uh, quasi-legitimate Republicans, I mean, I'm talking about the ones that are, you know, pro-big government Republicans, uh, they've been pushing for a school foundation formula increase this year alone, but most people have said that's not it's not going to happen in one year. It's going to take more than one year. Um, but this is the quote. Minority members said it was not prudent to use savings to pay for core government services. Where have you guys been for the last 10 years? Right? It's not prudent to use savings to pay for core government services. They used 15, nearly $15 billion in savings to pay for Gore government services. Now, there's a lot of newbies in the minority, so it's not everybody's fault. But there's enough core members in there to go, wait a second. It's not prudent to use. Oh, come on. That you really said that? After raiding the CBR and draining $14, $15 billion out of the CBR over the last 10 years, all of a sudden, now, all of a sudden, you found some fiscal hawkishness? Well, it's just not a good idea to pay for core services with savings. You, what? Just, what? <sighs> anyway, I, I don't know. It looks like they may vote the bill out. Um, today, tomorrow, I don't know. We'll see what happens, but it's headed over to the, uh, it's headed over to the uh, Senate here in the near future anyway. Uh, before we get too far here, I know we're running out of time. I do want to talk about this bill from Forrest Dunbar. Senate Bill 77 would institute what they call a blight tax. It would allow local governments to levy a tax on property that it's deemed by local authorities to suffer from blight. Now, the tax could be as high as 50% of the property's current tax. So, I mean, they could, if you pay a thousand bucks, now you could have to pay 1500 bucks uh, because of the, you know, uh, as a penalty on top of that. It, it could be seen as a taking 
of government properties. Here's the problem. There is no definition given by the legislature or in statute as to what constitutes blight. Now, in Fairbanks, I remember we had some perennial conversations surrounding some of the properties where people had old cars and it was like a private wrecking yard, basically, right? I mean, they had junk on their property and all this other kind of stuff. And the idea is that blight is in the eye of the beholder. Um, the, the, the new tax is dangerous. Seemingly intended to reduce the prevalence of unattractive buildings or those in disrepair, SB 77 implements a framework permitting municipalities to define blighted properties and penalize them with a special tax. As written, however, this framework would prove to be one of the broadest local blight tax uh, blight tax authorizations in the nation. Municipalities could adopt virtually any definition of blight while simultaneously slapping on a heavy new tax burden of up to 50% of existing property taxes. The potential for abuse on this is off the charts. Uh, blight tax legislation in other states overwhelmingly includes specific definitions of what may constitute blight. However, those narrow definitions are critical to preventing overzealous city councils from arbitrarily broadening the blight tax base in search of more revenue. Here in Alaska, it's, I mean, this is like live free or die around here, right? That's kind of the attitude of it's my property, leave me alone. But somebody else could say it's a blight. And if the borough decides that that's the case or the muni decides that that's the case, whew, and even if it's just simply disrepair and not junk or something else that's an eyesore, if you thought do you, if I had the money to repair the place, do you think I wouldn't want to put it into the you think I wouldn't want to put it into the house? Now you're going to charge me 50 percent additional tax on top of that, even though I didn't have the money. And this is not kind of hypothetical because uh, the uh, Americans for uh, tax reform pointed out that in Springfield, Illinois, last year, a resident was charged sixty three thousand dollars in repair costs to his home. He wasn't able to pay the bill and they foreclosed on it and took the property from it. So the idea of blight. This is I mean, it's just government do gooder overreach. That's what it's all about. All right, we got to go. Brad Keithley's coming up. Alaskans for sustainable budgets. The Michael Duke show continues. It is your home for common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We kick off the weekly top three right after this. Our light, our guide, and our trusted friend. Okay. Oof, man. Oof. Anytime you kind of give that kind of that kind of power to a local uh, council or borough assembly or something, that's just terrifying. I mean, that is just absolutely terrifying. I would not. It just that just it worries the absolute p wadden out of me. Oh man, could you imagine your property's a blight? Uh, because we're planning on building something right next to it. Or maybe we need your piece of property too. So we're going to just basically, we'll blight you out of existence and then take your land and do that. You know, it's, oh man. 
Um, all right. Let's um, – it's a land grab. They're going to start stealing people's property from them. Cost of living is going to keep going up. Food security is going to get worse. You think you've seen empty shelves at the store? Just wait. It's Jerrica. She's over here. She's over here tooting the horn. Uh, let's um, – all right. We'll we'll do this. I'm, I'm all ready. I'm all ready, all ready. Let's go over to Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. <laughs> Hey, uh, how, how how's it how's it going, my friend? Uh, it's going uh, good so far. <clears throat> um, it would probably make me mow my lawn uh, a little bit more often than blighted. I do sometimes. Blighted, because, because otherwise I'd be a blight. Blighted, come on, man! It's a you know I, you just got to love these whole. Uh, we're going to put a framework in and not pass any kind of definition on anything, and so people can just make it whatever they want, you know. Uh, you've got, uh, you've got a motor home next to it with a blue tarp on it. That blue tarp is a blight. Your property's blighted. You know, I mean, it's just like freaking do gutters, man. I swear to God. I just, it's one of the things that I hate the most people who utilize government as a bludgeon against, you know, people that they think it, you know, I just, not my definition of a blight, leave people alone. Why can't you just leave? It's the same thing in the Fairbanks, you know? If the guy wants to have five wrecked cars on his property, that's his property. What? Just just leave him alone. You moved in there knowing he was there. And now you're like, well, we got to change the flavor of the neighborhood. You moved in when you knew he was there. You are. Sorry. Pet peeve. Absolutely. Do we have some person? Do we have some personal experience coming out here? No. It's just, it's, you know, it just because literally we had somebody come into the thing and, and they were like, well, you know, we, you know, that, that neighborhood and the thing. And I'm like. Was that there when you moved in? Yes. So you bought the property at a discounted price because obviously there was a wrecking yard down the street or something. And now you want to evict him because you want the prices of the neighborhood to go up. It's crickets, man. Just crickets. They had no. So you knew it was there when you moved in and now you're complaining about it. Shut your pie hole. You knew it was there. Uh, it's just, it's insane. It's insane. That's, that's why you didn't run for re-election, isn't it? Oh, no, yeah. No. No, I could stick my hand in a meat grinder only once or twice and figure it out. I'm smart enough to do that. Somebody asked me once, what was it like to be, uh, to be you know, serve on the borough assembly? I said, see that door? I said, put your hand in that door and slam it repeatedly until you're unconscious. And then when you wake up, put it back in there and start again. That's exactly what it's like. It's yeah. just, oh my God, it's, it's hysterical. So, hey, Brad, how you doing, man? How's how's it going? You ready, Michael? I'm doing great. Oh, I'm doing great. Agitated. I'm, I'm, I did some speed reading this morning when you sent me links, so I'm. Oh I'm yeah, doing good. Great. That's an interesting. Uh, it's an interesting development in it. So, um, all right. So we're gonna jump into this um, with, uh, yeah, just like moving in next to a farm with hogs and other. That's the other thing. Somebody actually did move in next to like a farm or a pig farm or something. I don't like this smell. Did you not notice the smell when you were walking the property before you bought it? I don't know. Okay, get out of here. Just leave. Leave. I mean, yeah, exactly. It's it's insane. Uh, okay, hey Brad, hold the line. We're gonna be right back to you. Oof. Jesus, <laughs> people, man, people suck. That's the problem. Uh, we're gonna jump back into this here. Brad Keithley, Alaska's for Sustainable Budgets, our guest, um, and we're we're gonna. I oh man, somebody, I just tripped. That just triggered something. I'm triggered, man. I'm triggered. 
Let's get going to it here. Uh, common sense, liberty-based, free thinking radio. Like it, share, like it, share, like it, follow. Let's do it. Here we go. Okay, uh, we return now, getting back into it, uh, kicking things off uh, ASAP right here with Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. I'm so glad I could entertain Brad and make him laugh this morning. <laughs> I just about lost my ever-loving mind. Um, I was spitting out my coffee at one point. <laughs> so mad about that. That is, I'm triggered. I am totally triggered over that, and we could probably talk about that in the next segment, but... Uh, or in the next hour, I mean. But, Brad, uh, we got things to talk about with you. We're going to start off with the weekly top three. Uh, Hollywood comes to mind when you look at the behavior and actions of the local legislature, and you got some, you actually got some comparatives in mind, some movies. You got a, you're saying, and this all reminds you of something. What are we talking about here this morning? Well, the legislature, there, there was something that kept buzzing in my mind last week because I kept, you know, watching the legislature and watching the the minority floor amendments and and watching them hold out for you know using PFD cuts to 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 fund government uh, at the same time as we're seeing uh, uh, Ben Carpenter's uh, sales tax bill uh, over on the over on the Republican side and it finally dawned on me what it was. Um, some in the audience may not be old enough to remember this, but there was a movie back in the eighties called Freaky Friday that had Jodie Foster in it. And the premise of the movie was uh, a daughter and a mother changed uh, personalities or, or changed changed bodies. And Jodie was the younger one and she became, she became, you know, the younger person in the older woman's body and the older woman became an older woman in the younger person's body. They just, they body shifted. A, a variation on that was Tom Hanks's big uh, movie, Big in the 90s, where Hanks suddenly you know, became a, a, a boy in a, in a, in a man's body and right. trying to, trying to go through. So there's this whole genre of movies that are, that are shifting, right. Uh, pers personality shifting, body shifting. And that's what the legislature um, is, is, has reminded me of the Democrats traditionally say Democrats and independents traditionally say they're looking out for middle and lower income families, working Alaska families, a number of them ran, no doubt, no doubt, encouraged by Ship Creek Group. A number of them uh, ran on the premise that, or on the on the campaign theme that they were going to fight for Alaska fam working Alaska families when they got to the legislature. And they get to the legislature, and what they've been proposing to fund their their various programs are PFD cuts, which have the largest adverse impact on uh, on middle and lower income Alaska families, working Alaska families. And when I say middle. Uh, income Alaska families. I mean the full 60% of middle income Alaska families, upper middle, 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 and and lower middle uh, income Alaska families, working by anybody's definition, working uh, uh, families. Yet, the, yet the, the Democrats who claim to be fighting for Alaska, for these working Alaska families are the ones who proposed the fiscal measure that has the largest adverse impact directly on that group, directly on on working Alaska families. The Republicans, on the other hand, are being comparatively reasonable. Um, they're trying to, I mean, uh, Ben Carpenter's proposal of a sales tax, uh, uh, while it doesn't go, is, isn't as flat as I would like to see it, 
nevertheless, is is something that has it's much less regressive than than PFD cuts. It has a much lower adverse impact on uh, disproportionate impact on middle and lower income Alaska families. So the legislature seems to have you know shifted. Seems to the Republicans who are traditionally viewed as being the the advocates of more regressive policies, more pro business policies, less uh, pro family policies. The Republicans have shifted into being the more reasonable, the more moderate uh, uh, of the fiscal approaches. And the Democrats, who traditionally try to say that they're standing up for working Alaska families um, and they're going to you know fight for and protect working Alaska, they've shifted into the into the most regressive group. There's been this body shifting. Uh, that's going on between the two bodies. And and you never, I never saw it as clearly as I did when I was watching the floor session with the, with Democrat after Democrat saying, oh, we've got to, we got to cut the PFD, you know, Sarah Hannon saying, you know, free rides die hard. Right. Sort of, oh, that's sort, my, of sort of my favorite quote. Yeah. It's my favorite quote. Free rides die hard. Reminiscent of, uh, of, of Natasha von Imhoff's uh, yeah, famous, exactly. famous speech. I mean, it's just, I, it, it, it's just, I mean, we've had this body shifting and now we're going to have uh, the link you sent me this morning to Elise Galvin's uh, proposed, uh, proposed income tax um, is now we're going to have these, what some people call fig leaf bills, right? We're going to, they're going to, we're going to have these bills that say they're doing something, but they're not really doing anything. What, what Elise's bill would be is basically a small tax on the top 5%. The, the tax kicks in at 200,000 and above. Uh, in the Alaska di- income distribution range, that's the top five percent. Um, so it would be a small tax, uh, small tax on the top five percent, uh, but it it wouldn't raise much money. So it would still leave this huge huge hole in the budget, which, following up on what the Democrats said last week on the floor, would come from PFD cuts. So they they will claim now, or she will claim, no doubt, that she is trying to be, you know. I'm, I'm in the game, you know, I'm trying to get more prog- or, or less regressive tax approaches out there. Well, they're fig leaves. I mean, they're just, they're things that you can claim, things that you do claim are doing what you say they're doing, but they're not. They're really just, you know, uh, small increments uh, that you try to blow up into uh, into bigger things. So we're, we're going to see, a, uh, we'll, we'll likely see a number of these fig leaf bills from Democrats now as they try to sort of try to regain the 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 upper ground in this debate about regressivity, uh, but you know Ben Carpenter's bill is a fix. I mean it's a it's a it's a full on fix uh, of, uh, of of what's going on. Larry personally had a had an op ed in the in the Judo Empire where he complained about Ben Carpenter's bill, and it's just really I mean it's really <laughs> odd to to read through this op ed. He's going on and on and on about how we ought to be funding things through PFD cuts. If PFD cuts are free money and or PFDs are free money, we ought to be funding it through PFD cuts. And then he starts complaining about the regressivity of of Ben Carpenter's bill. Oh yeah, and 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 sales taxes are like you know five times, six times, seven times less regressive uh, in terms of their impact on middle and lower income Alaska families. Less regressive than than sales taxes. So it's just. I mean, the, the, the Democrats have really gotten themselves in a very odd situation that that I'm not sure they know how to get out of. Uh, it's like they're, they they're, they all discovered that they all discovered the term regressive and regressivity, and they're all, all of a sudden they're like, oh, we should use that all the time. <laughs> I mean, like we should use that. I mean, that's an amazing word. We should use that. Wait, you guys have been doing this the whole time. You had no idea what it was called. I mean, just all of a sudden. 
and they're still proposing to do it. I mean, they're they're still on top of uh, on on top of it, uh, uh, proposing to use PFD cuts. I mean, that was that was sort of the the underlying theme of the entire floor debate last week. It was use PFD cuts, fund fund this, but don't pay a PFD and let K through twelve uh, uh, go unfunded. Use PFD cuts to you know take P, take it out of the PFD in order to in order to fund this. And and translated into into fiscal terms, tax middle and lower income Alaska families uh, in order to in order to to fund K through twelve. It's just I, they don't. I don't think they grasp. I don't think they grasp the the position they've got themselves into. And I, and Ben's bill was I'm, I, I doubt if he intended it this way, but it was a brilliant a brilliant maneuver to really you know, create this juxtaposition between what the what the Democrats want to rely on in terms of in terms of PFD cuts to fund government versus less regret, still regressive, but less, much, much, much less regressive proposal. If anybody could figure this out, you would think it'd be personally, but he uh, his op ed is just this screed against against uh, Ben's bill for being too regressive um, and and not uh, not solving the fiscal problem when really we ought to be solving the fiscal problem through uh, through PFD cuts. Come on, Brad. These people are so tone deaf. I mean, this last the article uh, in the AD, uh, in the ADN talking about the, the the overall budget bill, and then you know quoting minority members said it was not prudent to use savings to pay for core government services. What the, have you been asleep the last ten years? I mean. These same people have drawn $14 billion out of savings, $15 billion out of savings to pay for core government services. And are like, oh, well, we shouldn't do that. Oh, that could. Oh, and that's regressive. Don't use that. Look, this can, can I mark it off on my calendar of the day? I found that word regressive. It's regret. I mean, <laughs> like one of the said, like, you're right. They have totally body swapped here and gone around the bend on the other direction. These these folks are not paying attention to lower and middle income Alaska families. They don't. They don't get, they just want to make sure that their programs and their stuff get paid for and it doesn't matter what it is and and it's very obvious that their sights and targets are set on that whole crowd not just the democrats but the big government republicans in the senate are doing the same thing they're setting their entire sights on the PFD they want to eliminate it they want to take all that free money and use it for the programs that they want that's it yeah. Zach Fields is the poster child for all this. I mean, Zach Fields, the one who's proposed to cut the PFD down to a thousand dollars because that's historically what it's been. Forget about inflation, forget about all that other stuff, but that's historically what it's been. I mean, he's the poster child. I, he, he clearly, clearly is just trying to fund government in, in the most expeditious manner he can. The money's going through the legislature, the PFD money's going through the legislature's figures. So grab it while it's going through uh, and apply it to the government programs uh, that that he favors, um, and don't top don't top the top twenty don't touch the top twenty percent don't touch his top twenty percent donors right uh, uh, in well. the process or or the or the union donors don't don't touch any of those donors. Um, uh, let's just take it out of the pockets of middle and lower. Well, and you even see that with Galvin's bill because ostensibly the bill is about. Uh, you know, the bill is about uh, proposing an income tax that, you know, those with upper incomes will pay more. But then you find out that really they're only paying 
uh, 2% on $50,000 worth of their income. If they make over 200000 they pay 2% on $50,000. So it's 1000 bucks. And you're like, wait a second. If you're really going after the top 20, if you're really going after the upper income, shouldn't it be a, oh, no, no, it's capped, so don't worry about it. I mean, it is a, it is a fat, big nothing burger. Like you said, it's a smokescreen. It only if it only draws two percent from the top fifty thousand dollars of the of the top income earners, then it, it I mean a hundred million maybe maybe uh, at that point, and then you know twenty bucks on a head tax for everybody else. That's it's like I'm going to do something. That's exactly and, what that is. And the twenty bucks itself is regressive, right? Because it's yeah. another head tax. That's the problem with yeah. the, that's the problem with the PFD. The PFD is a head tax and head tax are head taxes are hugely regressive. So she's she's proposing. Let's get this right. She's proposing a very small progressive tax on on five percent of the Alaska income and then leveling up the head tax on the on the remaining ninety five percent. It's a I, they, they don't. Maybe they do understand what they're doing, but but it's. But it is it is it is manipulation. It is uh, uh, it, it's just it, it's nonsense. And then and then you have all that going on on the Democrat and independent side. And then you have Ben Carpenter standing up saying, "Okay, we got to fix this problem. One piece of this one piece right. of the solution is we got to come up with uh, with uh, some revenues that are not PFD cuts. We got to come up with you know less regressive less regressive tools to raise revenues." Yeah, Ben Carpenter looks like you know the Mr. Adult in the, in the, in the room compared to, compared to all the Democrats who are, you know, complaining about the regressivity of the, of, uh, uh, uh complaining about the regressivity of the sales tax bill. It's just, just, just doesn't make it just, uh, it makes for comedy. I mean, sort of like freaky Friday, the body swap, it makes for comedy, Well, it, uh, but it certainly doesn't make for good fiscal policy. You got to laugh or you'll be smashing your face against the wall because you'd be so upset about it. So, I mean, at this point, um, well, let's uh, give me a tease for number two. There is a difference between sales tax and income tax, as we've talked about. Uh, give me a quick uh, tease before we go to break. So Matt Berman, who is an ICER uh, economist uh, and one of the economists who worked on the 2016 and the 2017 uh, ICER studies, Matt doesn't come out of uh, doesn't come out of his office often in terms of public comment, but he wrote an op-ed uh, in the uh, in the ADN uh, over the weekend, well, late last week, that I think is an excellent op-ed. Uh, makes two points uh, that I think are very important to add to the discussion. One is sort of a repetition, but one is some new learning uh, that I think is important to add to the fiscal conversation. And uh, and I want to highlight that uh, in the second segment. Brad Keithley, our guest. We're going to go. We'll be back with more in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. The weekly top three continues. Listened to by more staffers in Juno than any other show. Because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man, they're gonna be pissed. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, continues with us right now. Uh, Brad, I mean, again, I was already triggered before we even got started this morning, and this just... <laughs> But, I mean, it's 100% true. I mean, supposedly, and this is what I've been saying for a long time, supposedly 
the Democrats are the politicians, the representatives of the little guy, right? I mean, they're supposed to be protected. I mean, that's the stereotypical, you know, we defend the poor and those who can't defend themselves. Quickly, take their PFD. Uh, you know, that's, I mean, that's what they're doing, right? I mean, that's the whole thing. I have I have been shocked, shocked, I tell you, that they have not been the ones that had the most vociferous uh, vocal uh, objection to the taking of the PFD because it's very obvious that when you have a family that makes $20,000 a year with two or three people and you take four or $5,000 out of their income by taking their PFD, that that's not a good thing. And yet they're like, well, but see, the problem is they're balancing it on their love for government. Well, we've got to have those government programs. We've got to have them and there's no other way to pay for them. So you we'll just take it from you. Don't worry about it. You're paying for the program. You're using it, so we'll take we'll take it from you. That's the answer. And I, you know, I'm just shocked that more people don't, uh, uh, you know, aren't aren't up in arms with their representatives over something like that, especially folks in the lower income communities in the rural areas. Yeah, it's um, uh, it, it's it's surprising. Although, I mean, Natasha did a great job in the Senate finance in in perpetuating this myth. That that PFDs are free money, right? And and it's and it's within government's right. And government should, in fact, go grab that money out of the pockets of Alaskans because it's free money. After all, you don't have any right to it. You, you don't have any expectation of it. Um, and she did a great job perpetuating that myth. And and I think I think that you know the Democrats sort of bought into that and said, oh yeah, well that's free money. Let's just let's just go let's go without thinking, or if they did without caring about the impact that it was going to have on, on middle and lower uh, income Alaska families. Uh, I mean, it's so, so they go to PFD cuts for two reasons. One, because it's easy. The money's coming through their fingers. It's easy for the legislature to divert it um, uh, over to whatever the hell else they want to spend it on while it's, while it's coming through their fingers. And the other thing is, and I think Zach Fields understands this better than most. The other thing is if if they raised it a different way, if they raised it through taxes or if they raised it through increased oil taxes or if they raised it through um, any sort of non-regressive tax, a flat tax, progressive tax, they would trigger the top 20% because the top 20% have to pay for it. They would trigger the top 20% in pushing back on spending. So what they so what they've figured out is as long as we do it through PFD cuts and as long as we continue on with this fiction that it's just free money anyway, and you know we're entitled to it. it's a free ride, and, and we're in, and government's entitled to it anyway. As long as they continue on with that, a they they give cover to you know taking it while it's, while it's running through their fingers, and b they don't trigger the top twenty percent. So it's but but now you've got Ben Carpenter. I I, I cannot tell you how uh, uh, respectful I am uh, of of what Ben's done with with putting the sales talk tax out there. What you what you've got with Ben is he sort of called their bluff, right? Right. He said, I, I will see your regressive tax with a less regressive tax. Right. Now what are you going to say? Yeah. Uh, and and they really and, and they're sort of like, you know, it's regressive. That's what they're going to say. It's regressive. There's they're still running around with this whole, you know, like Sarah Hannon, PFDs are free money, free rides die hard and 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 you know, uh, uh, some of the other responses of it's a regressive tax. But but the but the 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 uh, hypocrisy of their position is becoming clearer now that Ben has laid out uh, a less regressive option and and I think people are saying I mean personally 
Like, I don't know how he wrote that. I don't know how you twist yourself in a pretzel enough to write something that attacks the, 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 the sales tax as being a regressive tool to, to fill the budget, a, a regressive and unacceptable tool to fill the budget. At the same time, you're saying we ought to be using PFD cuts. I, I, I mean, they're still, they're still trying to wrap themselves in that. But as we'll talk about in the second segment, finally, some people are starting to get it. Yeah. Are, uh, are calling them out. In reading that opinion, I'm like, wow, this guy obviously is seeing exactly the things that we're talking about. And I mean, <laughs> you're right. It, it is it is so fascinating to watch and the justification hoops that they have to jump themselves through. Persilli, he's been that way for years and I've seen it for years and I've been pointing it out and just now he just kind of walked it right over the edge, you know, kind of thing. Like, <laughs> there's, what? There's, there's, not, there's not even a semblance of logic uh in the argument that he's got in in the latest piece i we will see people like elise galvin and others try to try to you know twist this well i'm more progressive than i've i've got a progressive tax now i've got a i've got a progressive tax that i'm coming up with and they'll try tricks like that uh but we just need to call we just need to keep calling it out and look at the substance of what they're proposing and calling it for what it is i mean hers is a fig leaf uh, small tax on the top five percent, with a with, with leveling up with an even higher head tax on the other uh, on the other eighty on the other ninety five percent. All right, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. We continue right now. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Continuing now, Brad Keithley is our guest, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. On to number two, we're talking about uh, sales taxes versus income taxes. There is a difference and uh, also a difference on the regressivity in dealing with the PFD tax as well. Um, some interesting opinion pieces out there. Brad, uh, go ahead and lay it out for us. Well, Berman's, uh, Matt Berman's piece uh, in the late last week uh, in the ADN, I think is a, I think is an excellent piece. Again, Matt was on the ICER team that did the two, uh, 2016 analysis that you and I talk about a lot. He also was the lead on the 2017 ICER analysis that looked at the impact of the various fiscal options on Alaska families and said clearly that the PFD cuts were by far, had by far the largest adverse impact on uh, on uh, Alaska families of, of all the various options. But Matt Matt sort of stays in his office and teaches his classes and doesn't come out very very often. He came out uh, in this opinion piece and I think uh, I think did a great job. A couple of uh, one paragraph. There, there's two points that are in this piece that I want to emphasize. The first one is is captured by this paragraph. Let's be honest, a cut in the PFD is a tax, the most regressive tax ever proposed. A $1,000 cut will push thousands of Alaskans, Alaska families below the poverty line. It will increase homelessness and food insecurity. A low-income family loses $1,000 per person, while a high-income family loses about $700 per person because their federal income taxes drop. Progressives like Fields, who advocate for using PFD cuts to pay for public spending, should think again. And it's just, I mean, it's, a, it's, an, excellent, it's an excellent piece Focusing in on the impact of of PFD cuts on uh, on Alaska families, Matt also did 
um, a study of the impact of PFD cuts on poverty and on and on what happens to Alaska families, whether it affects Alaska families from a poverty standpoint, and concluded in that in that study also in 2017, I think, concluded in that study that it pushed thousands of Alaskans uh, under the poverty line by by using PFD cuts uh, to uh, uh, to fund government. So it's I mean I think it's an excellent counterpoint uh, to uh, to some of the stuff that we've seen out there, Persley's piece and others uh, that talk about you know it's just free money we ought to take it. There's no impact of it. Don't worry about it. We're funding all these government programs. They're good. Um, I, I think Matt is it, Matt's point is really brings out the the adverse impact of it. But there's a second piece in Matt's that I think I think is also important to focus on. And it's one that I that I have thought about in the past, but I never it never really rung with me the way it did while I was uh, uh, reading the uh, uh, reading Matt's piece. One of the one of the big pushbacks that Kathy Giesel, Josh Revac, and others have used in the past uh, against against uh, PFDs is that um, is that at the higher income brackets, PFD income is is subject to tax, obviously, and so a bunch of that PFD income leaks out of the state in terms of federal income taxes paid. Right. Um, and and so their argument is, look, that's money we could be keeping in Alaska if we just cut the PFD. That's money we could be keeping in Alaska because it wouldn't leak out. Uh, if, we, if we cut the PFD, kept the money in government, we'd keep the money in Alaska because it wouldn't leak out through federal income taxes. And that's been a point that I've heard a number of people uh, argue over time as a, as a rationalization for why they favor PFD cuts because it's a because it stops, limits the, the federal income tax uh, leakage. Matt's point uh, in, in this piece is, is, look, if you had an income tax and you used the PFD as a credit to your income tax, so let's say you have a, you have a state income tax of, of 5% and, or 4%, and, the PF, and you could use your PFD as, to pay part of your tax. You could use, use it as a tax credit against your tax. Uh, it would offset your, your state tax obligation. You wouldn't have to pay, you wouldn't have to pay all that state tax. You would just contribute your PFD or take your PFD and use it as a, as a, as a credit against the PFD. Matt's point is if you use it that way, if you structure the, the state tax system that way, the PFD isn't taxed by the feds. It isn't treated as income by the feds. The, the, the portion that you use as a tax credit um, uh, stay is, is, is not income Taxable. that, that right. then, that then counts in your federal, federal income tax. Right. So the, the leakage factor, the, the federal income tax leakage factor is a lot lower. Um, if you're, if you're able to do that, because at the upper income, at the upper income levels, um, you would use all of your PFD as a tax credit. You might owe some more on top of it, but you would at least use all of your PFD as a tax credit. So there wouldn't be any any federal income tax effect off of uh, the PFD. And that really, I think, I mean, so a lot of the money, a lot of the money that, that, that there's been the historic concern about it leaking out of the state, it wouldn't leak out through the federal income tax. It wouldn't leak out of the state. Right. That's different than the way a sales tax operates. You wouldn't be able to use the PFD as a credit against your sales tax. At least there's, there's no state that, that, that is set up to allow you to do that. Uh, you wouldn't be able to use the the PFD as an offset against your sales tax, and so you would still have leakage, even if you even if you had a sales tax, and you were paying the sales tax uh, uh, to the state. 
when you received your PFD, when you received your full PFD, you would still have to pay a portion of that PFD. You'd still have to treat it as federal revenue and, and treat it as, a, a, and, and pay a portion of it um, as federal income tax. And so you would still have the leakage uh, under a sales tax, and that would still be a problem uh, under a state sales tax. So that I think has raised an issue that's important, um, particularly for ways and means as they go through their process. I think it's an important issue to consider um, uh, in evaluating the difference between using a, 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 a sales tax and something like a flat uh, a tax, right. a flat, in, a flat well, income tax. I think, there's, I, think there's, I think there's a potential that significantly more money stays in the state under an income tax than would than would stay in the state under a sales tax. Well, it also yeah, it also prevents the leakage of the out of state you know out of state residents coming up here to work because it would it would uh, the tax would affect them as well and they would receive right. no credit uh, because they're not Alaska residents as well. On top of that, so right now I mean you know if you want to again you want something that's not regressive you want something that hits everybody equally. Uh, I mean, there's a, it, it is an idea. We're down to the last four minutes here though. And I know you wanted to talk about oil taxation, um, because we've got a couple different bills that are out there, including a bill on property taxes. I know there's been a discussion for Wolikowski on changing the oil taxation plan as well. You in the past have said that there's money left on the table for sure. Uh, you know, to tax the oil companies, to increase those revenues. What, uh, what do you say here? Well, there's been. I, I think there's. I think the. I think the 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 big picture is that oil taxes are moving. Uh, there was a hearing on it uh, last week. Uh, uh, Donnie Olson, uh, uh, co-chair of Senate Finance, has said there's going to be a committee substitute that will that will have oil taxes. Committee substitute usually means that the that the committee is treating it as seriously as serious enough that that they're coming up with uh, with legislation. They're taking the time to come up with legislation to to consider uh, uh, moving forward. Um, Donnie did say there's three, there's three components of, of Wilikowski's bill. One is to close the Hillcorp loophole, which is a no brainer should have been done 10, five years ago, whenever Hillcorp acquired BP should be done hundred million dollars. The second is to change the credits, uh, on the, uh, on the way that the tax is calculated, the per barrel credits, um, that needs to be looked at hard. Uh, Roger Marks has an op-ed piece in the Anchorage Daily News that says we need to, to evaluate that. We certainly do, because that's that you, you need to set that right to make sure we continue to get investment. But I think there's money there to reset that. And then the third piece of Willikowski's proposal is the so-called uh, ring fencing that you would isolate a willow cost to willow that couldn't the expenses couldn't be used to offset Conoco's costs else, elsewhere. That's the most controversial. It's the one I think Conoco will push back on saying, hey, willows. The willow economics are predicated in part on being able to use those costs to offset our, our tax expenses elsewhere. That's part of the economics underlying willow. And Donnie said at the hearing, Donnie Olson said at the hearing that the committee substitute likely would not include ring fencing, uh, which I think is I think is appropriate. It's maybe maybe we reconsider ring fencing at some point, but it's a step too far, particularly with willow. It's a step too far, I think, in the in the current reconsideration. So all taxes are moving. That's a good thing. We need to focus on Hillcorp. We ought to just do without even thinking about. We need to focus on the per barrel credits and that we need to do some good analysis on about what impact increasing or decreasing the per barrel credits will have on uh, on investment levels and on the decline curve and, and, on, uh, and on future revenue streams. You can increase the tax, suffer some small loss in the decline curve, and make more money for the state 
and we certainly should be doing that if if that's if the, if that's something we can do. Um, but we need to understand exactly what the impact is on the decline curve and, and and on investment levels, because you also can increase the tax, lose enough additional investment that you lose revenues uh, going forward, uh, and and we need we need to avoid that. So we need to do as Roger suggested in his piece. We need to do some analysis on on what the impacts are of of changing the old per barrel credits on the on uh, on investment levels. And you've said in the past, and of course, that there is money left on the table, four or $500 million potentially. The ring fencing thing is an interesting debate, and I would like to see maybe a narrowing of that to only Alaskan properties instead of uh, worldwide and everything else. So, uh, But I, I want to, you know, we should talk about that again at a later date and the pros and cons of that. Uh, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Thanks for coming on board and joining us this morning. We appreciate it. Uh, look forward to talking to you again next week. Michael, as always, thanks for having me. Folks, we're out of time for Hour 1. we got more coming up. It's a fast hour. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. So, I mean, just your back-of-the-napkin estimates here at this point, uh, Brad, I mean, what do you think numbers-wise? I mean, where would you think that, you know, what kind of revenue could we talk about if we changed both the Hill Corp and the per-barrel tax credit? Um, are we reaching upwards towards half a billion dollars? Is that uh, is that on the upper end, or what do you think? Uh, well, Hill Corp's 80 to $100 million, and that's, um, that's pretty well clear and because uh, that's on the income tax side and um, corporate income tax side. And that's... And that's pretty well not subject to much debate. The per barrel credits, here's the here's the issue on the per barrel credits. What impact do they have on investment levels? And if you can think in terms of decline curves, oil, if, if, if here's today's production, and if you don't have additional investment or you have minimal invest, additional investment, oil production will decline over, over this level. If, if you decline like at, at this, if, if you know, increasing the per barrel credits by a certain amount results in sort of a nosedive, 10% decline, then you may get more revenue in a couple of years, but over time, you're gonna have, you're gonna have less revenue than you otherwise would have had you not changed the per barrel credits. If you change them and they only affect the decline curve by 3%, um, you're gonna have, a, it's gonna change investment levels and you, and you only have a decline curve of 3% from where you otherwise would be you're going to have a little bit less production than you otherwise want, but you're going to have more revenue because you're increasing you're increasing the revenue on all the barrels up to up to that decline curve level. Curve level. So the the real the, the question on the per barrel credits is what's the impact on the investment levels, and what's the impact on the on the on the decline level or on the on the decline curves? And the the administration previously last fall estimated that we could change the the per barrel credits by four dollars or $3 something, uh, uh, something in that neighborhood and could get additional $400 million. That was slightly higher oil prices. Um, so I'm not sure the $400 million is still the same, maybe 350. Uh, but you can change, you can change the per barrel credits to some degree and, and either not have an impact on the decline curve or have a moderate impact on the decline curve that gets you, uh, gets you more money, uh, long-term. We need to have that. We need to have the debate about what that is, and we're probably talking about a half a billion dollars at current oil prices.
current and projected oil prices, we're probably talking about a half billion dollars long term between the per barrel right. credits and in uh, additional and revenue. Yeah. Here's 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 the the thing about that debate though. The state really doesn't have the information you need to calculate the decline curves. The 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 companies largely have that information and largely don't have to produce it to the state. Right. So there 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 there's got to be some process that either allows the state access to that information or or puts the burden on the companies that you're either going to be taxed unless you produce the information. There's got to be some process we go through to get that information uh, out there where it can be analyzed and the state can have some feel for for what the impact of those investment levels are uh, on the long-term decline curve. That, but, but that's the debate we need to have. So about half a billion dollars, roughly. What uh, about Cliff Grow's property tax increase? Any any thoughts on that? <laughs> so property taxes on oil companies are are just really sort of are, are just really sort of minimum taxes, right? I mean, they don't they don't vary depending upon the price of oil. They're just you got X amount of property, bam, you got you're going to pay X amount of tax. It's a way it's a way of just having a a, a an increased burden on the companies without respect to without respect to uh, uh, without respect to volumes. But it, it needs to go in the calculation. You can probably increase uh, property taxes some, but then you probably can't increase the or, or decrease the per barrel credits as much as much as you otherwise would, because for the oil companies, it's all the same state tax, right? And it's and it's in, it's increased costs. So there's an interactivity between those two that uh, that needs to be evaluated before you just you know say, well, we can increase the we can increase the per barrel credit or decrease the per barrel credit by X amount. That won't impact the decline curve. Then, if you layer property tax on on top of it, you may find out it does inc- it does increase the decline curve. So you've got to you've got to you've got to interact. You've got to keep those two interacting. You can't just do both. Can't do both in the vacuum and say, well, you know, the, one won't impact the other. We can just enact both, and we'll be we'll be fine. Right. The ring fencing. We don't have a lot of time here, but um, I thought that maybe a tightening of the ring fencing. Uh, where, you know, again, it was only Alaskan properties and not other places and things like that, you know, instead of the full picture, uh, would be better. I know it's a, I know it's a very volatile and very, um, um, controversial type scheme, but, uh, you know, it, at least if they were investing in Alaska, they could write those investments off against, you know, current fields and things like that, uh, in the state, just not somewhere else. There's, there's, you're talking about two different tax schemes. So the, it's the corporate oil tax, a corporate income tax on oil companies that, that allows consideration of costs uh, elsewhere. The, the, the production tax doesn't allow consideration of costs elsewhere. The production tax is focused only on costs uh, for Alaska. And the ring fencing debate that, that is raised in Wilikowski's bill is on the production tax. So and, it is local what, already. Okay. Right. It is local already. So what Wilikowski is saying is Willow costs ought to be kept with Willow. The the, 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 the the challenge of the current production tax is when you have a big new project startup like Willow, you got a bunch of upfront costs. And and right now they can be used to offset, you know, revenues that are coming from elsewhere in the state and reduce your your your, your production tax burden as a result of that. Um, what Willikowski wants to do is keep Willow costs with with Willow and not allow them not allow Conoco to use those costs to offset revenue uh, in other parts of the state. The problem is the Willow economics have been based upon, you know, being able to offset those costs elsewhere, use those costs to offset uh, revenue elsewhere in the state and calculating tax. So it's a it's a it's a challenge 
to think through how that will impact Willow. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Thank you, my friend, for coming in. Good, uh, good morning, good show, and thanks for uh, being part of it. Michael, as always, thanks for having me. Folks, that takes us to Hour 2. The Michael Duke Show continues. It is your home for common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Across the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com, where you'll find links to the audio-only live stream, which I think I... Oops, I forgot to turn it on. The audio... (laughs) It is a low-budget radio show. What do you want? Uh, The audio-only live stream, and of course, links to our social media sites on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch where you will find all the uh, simulcasts of the show. We simulcast the show every morning on all three of those platforms. Uh, And, of course, links to the podcast, which is available, CastBox, Stitcher, YouTube, uh, uh, Google Play, iTunes, and, of course, Spotify, uh, all the places you can find the podcast out there. Uh, And, of course, broadcasting live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. It is the Michael Duke Show. Uh, Good morning and welcome to hour two of the fastest two hours in radio. Uh, That's that's how it rolls around here. We are zooming through the stuff and ready to dive in and continue our discussion. We just finished up with Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets uh, talking about the uh, um, talking about the uh, the big weekly top three, which included uh, kind of the Freaky Friday aspect of uh, people uh, uh, swapping positions and swapping uh, philosophies in the legislature. We've seen that. And, of course, uh, the discussion on oil taxes and uh, and other kinds of ideas to try and generate revenue for the state. Obviously, this crowd, uh, listen, I'm speaking to you, the listeners of this program, uh, would like to see uh, some reductions in the size and scope of government. We'd like to see the government, um, you know, pull back. We'd like to see a little bit of a reduction. And unfortunately, we're not, we're not getting any real traction on that. Uh, we've been trying to. We've been trying to get, uh, uh, you know, get some folks down in Juneau who would see that as their prime mission. And unfortunately, everybody that we've got, uh, everybody that we've got going on down there. <clears throat> either are a lone voice crying in the wilderness or they get subsumed by the machine and 
when push comes to shove, they don't back the reduction in government like we thought they were going to do. We saw that initially back in 2018, 2019, uh, when the governor first proposed that big uh, budget cut that, uh, you know, got everybody's knickers in a twist. Uh, and, you know, we just saw that the Republicans at that time wouldn't stand tall and prevent the uh, and prevent the veto overrides. And it's unfortunate, but that's where we're at today. As we look around uh, the state of Alaska, and we've been talking about this, you know, recently more and more, Alaska has, I mean, we're no longer, or I'm not even sure if we really were ever, a truly red state. Um, I think that we've always been uh, purple uh, in a way, and whether that is just kind of more independent-minded um, I don't think it's necessary, necessarily libertarian by any means because of the size and scope and the spend on government and the fact that we have this quasi-socialist constitution that basically, uh, you know, uh, communally gathers all the resources and makes them community property. Uh, but at the same time, definitely not a red state. Uh, and I think we've gone from slightly purple to deep purple and not the good one, not the rock band. I'm talking about deep purple in what's happening. And all you have to do to look at that is to see what's going on inside of Anchorage. The Anchorage election results are now out. And um, it is basically leaving a lot of the more conservative side of the equation in the dust. uh, And leaving them very um, disappointed and discouraged. We saw the same thing happen in the midterms, uh, in the national midterms, what was supposed to be a red wave and instead was more of a pink tinkle than a red wave. Uh, and finally people seem to be really, uh, hearing and understanding what's going on and calling a spade a spade. Uh, the piece in the ADN talking about the local election results quotes pretty extensively from both Amy Dimboski, who's a former chief of staff for uh, Mayor Bronson in the Anchorage area, now hosting her, her radio show there in Anchorage, and also Suzanne Downing, uh, the publisher of Must Read Alaska. And uh, they both seem to be coming to the same conclusion that we've been talking about on this program for years is that one of the prime culprits of what's been happening is the Republican Party. Um, <clears throat> the uh, it, It's something that, again, we've been talking about for a long time, that the party, by continuing to support members who are big government spend members, not uh, putting up or throwing money into races for people who would oppose them, et cetera, et cetera, and just basically showing a lack of leadership is part of the problem. And here you have two stalwarts. Uh, Deboski, uh, you know, died in the wool Republican. Uh, Suzanne Downing, her blog, The Must Read, actually started as part of the Republican Party monthly newsletter. That was really kind of the genesis of it. And it later uh, on broke off to be its own entity. But they both are basically saying the party is not showing up. The party is not working, not doing what it needs to do. Uh, Suzanne Downing went on to talk a little bit about Ship Creek Group, which is a progressive political organization here inside the state that has been very um, <clears throat> uh, has been very pivotal in moving and 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 getting some of these new progressive legislators into their seats. 
They are very, very motivated and very effective at getting their folks uh, elected. Uh, and they've been working hand in glove with uh, the Democratic Party here locally and have done a good job of it. I mean, you can't you can't slight them for that. They have done the hard work that needs to get done. The Republican Party has not. I mean, they underinvest in the local and municipal elections. They fail to hold their membership accountable for the platforms of the party. I mean, if you've got members of the party who are out there running under the ticket and are not espousing or not, uh, you know, living the principles of what the party is supposedly, you know, standing for, then what then what good is the party in and of itself? I mean, we've talked about this for every race from Lisa Murkowski on down. Um, you know, what what good is the party doing for us if uh, if they are not willing to, one, support candidates in local smaller elections, which are cheaper and easier to win, by the way, in the long run, it would have a trickle up effect from the grassroots efforts of it. And also, of course, not holding the membership accountable for slights against what are the principles and platforms of the party. I mean, again, like Lisa Murkowski or Natasha von Imhoff or Bert Stedman or these others. I mean, these are supposed to be the ideal of the party from what I always understood it. Now, I've never been a member of the Republican Party. I've always been on the outside looking in uh, because Republicans were the party that I more closely identified with, with my libertarian viewpoint. But uh, the party, from what my understanding is looking in, was always supposed to be the party of smaller, more limited government, fiscally responsible. And uh, they seem to have jettisoned those ideals in the membership that we see today. Uh, And the party basically gives zero poops about what's happening. They just are like, okay, it's great. We're, we got it all. And it's Republican on Republican violence in the legislature. That's a, it's hyperbole. It's not, you know. But this Republican against Republican attitude that we've seen is uh, worse than it has ever been. I mean, starting back when Kathy Giesel was the president of the Senate, punitively punishing conservative Republicans for deigning or daring to come up with an idea of smaller, more limited government for, you know, basically uh, criticizing and chastising Laddie Shaw and uh, demeaning his uh, his service as a as a veteran. Um, you know, Bert Stedman, you know, holding projects hostage so that they can increase government spending. And now, of course, the ultimate snub of forming a, a majority in the House, a, a bipartisan majority, and basically shuttering the three most conservative members into a minority that's not even really an official minority. And then looking at the camera and winking, winking, saying it's not punitive, but you could see it as punitive. Where is the party on that? Where is the party when they're saying you shouldn't you shouldn't do that to your other party members? It, it, we should. This is supposed to be the bigger tent, right? Wasn't that the whole thing, that this was supposed to be the bigger tent? And yet, here we are. And finally, somebody besides me is saying it. And, and I mean, I never really had any horsepower in this fight because, again, I'm a libertarian. And I'm not a member of the Republican Party, never have been. And so I could say it all I want, and they'd be like, oh, that wacko, wackadoo libertarian out there, he's saying that we should, ugh, we should. But now you've got Amy Dimboski and Suzanne Downing saying this is the problem. Hallelujah. Hallelujah breakdown. 
They even quote in this article uh, the leader of the um, of the uh, Ship Creek Group, uh, Campbell is their name. I don't remember what their first name is, but Campbell, <clears throat> Craig Campbell. Uh, no, I mean not Craig Campbell. He's a, he's a, a he's a Alaska Republican Party. Um, anyway, they they quoted basically say. Uh, Republican uh, Party did participate in this election, and we did support candidates when they asked us to. We're very interested in local politics. Uh, I'm sorry, that was a quote from Campbell. But then the leader of the Ship Creek Group goes in and goes, when you're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars, basically, because the Republicans have been using some outside group, Axiom, down in wherever the hell they are, Tennessee or someplace, tens of thousands of dollars going to this outside group for focus messaging and mailers and everything else. And the Ship Creek group guy said, um, well, we just went door to door. Um, you know, we it's, you know, we just go door to door. We don't do these big buys. We don't do all this other kind of stuff. We just go out and we go knocking doors. You know, <laughs> He said, if far-right Republicans feel like they have to go out of state for their campaign management support, that is a problem. We're not just placing media buys. He said, I was out this weekend knocking doors. This is our home and we care. It's kind of tough when the local people, uh, the local candidates are going to a local group who's motivating boots on the ground with volunteerism and getting people out there. And the Republicans are sending tens of thousands of dollars to some place outside in uh it's not Tennessee. It was Missouri. They're in Missouri, and uh, basically, you know, doing mailers or whatever. I get a, I got a lot of text messages and phone calls from these people and everything else. This is the problem. They're finally saying out loud what I've been saying for a long time: the Republican Party in this state needs an overhaul, and they need to hold their membership accountable, and they need to get involved in the local. You know, low ranking, you know, from the dog catcher on up. If you want to make a change, that's where you get the start in. And I've been saying that for years because I've seen the Democrats have done just that. How many assemblies in the state of Alaska right now are blue? How many assembly, even in red areas like the Kenai, like the Matsu, in areas that used to be considered mostly red like Fairbanks? I mean, I watched it before I left in Fairbanks. I watched the assembly progress from being a fairly balanced, slightly red assembly to almost full-on blue, where I I was one of the last, like me and I think Lance Roberts were the two last, I guess, conservatives. He was a Republican. I was a libertarian, although they're nonpartisan. But that doesn't matter. Tell me, I mean— Tell me about your local assembly. The, they have been doing this for a long time, and they are winning this battle of hearts and minds at the local level. And if the party doesn't pay attention to this, you're going to have some serious issues. As I've said many, many times. Finally, somebody else is saying it, not just me. So interesting, interesting stuff. All right, we're up against it. we got to go. We're going to continue the uh, Michael Duke show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Chris Story is our guest. He is coming up next. We'll continue this discussion, get our weekly positivity boost and more. Don't go anywhere. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. The Michael Duke Show.
running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. Okay, Chris Story is uh, going to be joining us here in a hot second. And, uh, goop. The parasite Republicans are destroying uh, the party from within. They contribute nothing, no fundraising, no door docking, no electioneering. They just hold district meetings and pass resolutions to try and get to hold legislators' feet to the fire. Fackle's a great example. They send legislators to Juno and then shoot them in their back on the way down there, says Kevin. So, there you go. Uh, all right, let's uh, see if we can get Chris on the phone here this morning. And, uh, hey, look at that. It worked. All right, good enough. Good enough. Good morning, Michael. How now? Hello, how now, brown cow? What's going on? You, yes. Y'all ready to do your, y'all ready to do your thing? Y'all, I got a mouse in my pocket. I am ready. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right. We'll hold the line here for a second. I'm still going through comments mm-hmm. from the last, uh, rant session that I had here. So hold on the like, just to be right back to you. Don't go anywhere. Um, uh, let's see. No, blah, 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 blah. Um, all this tax and it's all in all this tax talk. That's all in circles and oil. Only lawyers understand the need to go away. Flat tax at point of sale is the way to go. Said Willie. Um, Harold's I thought we decided to eliminated the rugged, the rugged art from our discussions. I didn't decide anything. I didn't agree. To, I didn't agree to that. Um, you never talked about it until I pointed it out five years ago. Well, Harold, that just shows your ignorance, unfortunately, because I've been talking about this for going on 15 years, but you know, you do you, my friend. Did you say Ship Creek or, yes, I did say Ship Creek. Ship Creek. Uh, Purple. Jerrica says, no, we're blue. We shifted from purple last year when Patola and Murky went to D.C. We really need to, do we really need to recap the last five years of the state legislation? Alaskan is all the way blue and sitting back thinking our votes will change things. Isn't going to make it purple again. Yeah. Um. People need to pull together like they have over Budweiser beer. Oh, somebody at Budweiser is getting fired. Some marketing guy is getting fired over Budweiser. Um, let's see. Um, uh, okay, that nails it. A lot of what's going on, a lot of what is going, a lot of what is going is a total takeover. A lot of what is going on is a total takeover by the unions. Uh, we knew that's that's we knew that that was what was going to happen. Uh, Matsu Assembly is red. Well, is is it um, is it really red, or is it slightly purple? I mean, uh, please link the piece that Dubosky that you're talking about here. Uh, sure, uh, it's in the uh, it's in the ADN. James, here's the, there's the post right there. That's the election results and what they're talking about. Um, let's see. Um, okay. The GOP, um, GOP and frankly, a lot of people in this group are totally fixated on national level politics. Long ball hitters make good theater, but are 
uh, but are not winning. I think he meant, but are not winning the game. I mean, that's what I've been saying for years. We need, we need to focus locally that they aren't winning the game. There you go. Um, uh, bah, 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 bah. uh, the whole Anheuser-Busch marketing team has been fired, is gone, and the CEO was fired yesterday, what I heard, maybe. <laughs> oh, man. Um, all right, we're, uh, we're coming up on it here. Chris Story is waiting in the wings patiently because that's what he do. He wait patiently in the wings for me, and I appreciate that. And we're going to jump into this. Please like and share this video. Like and follow the show page. And um, do all the youtube and Facebook things. There you go. Um, here we go. Jumping back into it. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Let's do this thing, shall we? Let's do it. The Michael Duke Show. Not your daddy. Wait, sorry. Not your daddy? Ooh, not your daddy's talk radio. <laughs> Whew. I was scared for a second. Thought we were going down. Here's Michael Dukes and the show. That's right. Not your daddy's talk radio. I am also not this guy's daddy that he knows of. Uh, Chris Story. The man from Homer joins us this morning to talk about positivity and pottery and heredity. I don't know. Well, good morning, my friend. How are you this morning? Good morning, Michael. Who's your daddy? Yeah, who's who your daddy? Who your daddy? Um, uh, it's good to talk with you, my friend. How's uh, how's life treating you down in the on top of the world down there in Homer? It's good to be spoken to, and it's grand here i mean it really is but i was thinking about that the other morning so it's funny you should say it but we 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 michael are often of one mind and i was just thinking i kind of don't care where i am be it on vacation or here uh arguably where god keeps homer alaska in his vest pocket according to our mayor i agree with it um it doesn't matter where i, am. I like to think that in terms of wherever i am or whatever the weather i'm gonna wake up and put myself into an on top of the world state. And I know somebody just rolled their eyes, careful, you might drive <laughs> off the road. Uh, but it's true, it takes effort. Somebody asked me recently, my daughter, actually, not somebody, my, my oldest daughter asked me, do you just wake up like happy and um, like purpose driven like every day? And I said, yes, but it takes work. I, I work at it every single day. So it's, it's, it's a state of mind, Michael. So you asked that a generic question just to sort of say, hey, how you doing? You didn't expect me to really answer. You don't care. You want to move on. I get it. I, you know what? I, I don't. I actually don't want to move on for just a second because oh, I think you actually don't care. Yeah, because I just don't <laughs> care. Uh, no, but I mean, look, I, I think you're right. I mean, there have been times, and I told somebody the other day that 2023 can just suck a, a vacuum cleaner. I don't. You know, I mean, the 2023 has not been stellar. Uh, it, for many reasons, uh, you know, in my life so far. And I thought about it and I was thinking about it yesterday and what you say, that's why I like bringing you on. Cause sometimes you'll say things that, you know, resonate with me in a certain way. And you're right. You know, there have been days when I've got up and I'm sitting on the edge of the bed at four 30 in the morning going, Oh God, you know, and, and, and 
you're right. This is a decision. This is, I mean, the whole day, that first 15 minutes or 10 minutes or three and a half seconds, however long you spend sitting on the edge of your bed thinking about your day, can set the tone for the whole day. And sometimes I forget that. Sometimes I get dauber down and forget that. But you're right. Living on top of the world is a choice. And you've got to you've got to think about that. And um that I mean that's my every day I get every time I have Chris on, I get a nugget somewhere in our discussion. This morning the nugget was right up front. I got to eat dessert first. So that's some good stuff right there. Uh, all right. Well, said something that, that we both agree. I tend to agree. I, I would take chicken nuggets with a little sweet and sour sauce as a dessert. Oh oh it's no. Weird, you need I, the whole like. the Hawaiian barbecue sauce. If you can get the Hawaiian barbecue sauce, it's perfect for chicken nuggets. Um, all right. Uh, or Chick-fil-A sauce. I actually they sell Chick-fil-A sauce now. It's also very delicious. Um, all right. So yeah, so start your day right. By getting your mind right, right? Because that's the only thing we can control. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, am I wrong, true. Chris? Yeah. It's the only thing we can control? Yeah. No, you're right. You, well, you have a hundred. It's not the only thing, but you have a hundred percent control over it. So in the morning, and this inspired me, and maybe, Michael, it will touch you as well. No, I'm not talking about the Dalai Lama. Oh, no. Oh, you, you, you had to that. go there. Yeah, I had on to go the, there. On the lips. Oh. Yuck. I mean. Oh, that's not even the worst of it. That's not the worst of it. you got to watch the video. Anyway, I, I'm ro- rooting through my library because I have two books. He didn't write them, but they're written about him. And i gotta, I got to determine whether to keep them or not. Anyway, um, but I think this might touch you. Another spiritual leader, his name was Wayne Dyer, Dr. Wayne Dyer. And a little bit less um, dogmatic. He was more more in the, the thought and spiritual realm that way. He wasn't a particular religion. But he said he wakes up every day and says two words. And he's saying them to God. He's saying, thank you. And I thought, man, that's a, what a great thing. So I started doing that. I said, let me try that. So I started waking up every day. And the first thing that comes to mind, I, I feet hit the floor. I say, thank you. And it sets a tone that then triggers the next thing and the next and the next, which is I go through a series of things that I'm grateful for. I pray. I, so that's my routine. May work for you, may not. But that, those two words, thank you, start my day every single day now. And I have Wayne Dyer to thank for that uh, as a result of just hearing him talk about that and then experimenting with it. I was like, yeah, that works. It works for me. So I, I do that every single day. And, you know, gratefulness is a part of, I mean, even the, even the new agey mindfulness, you know, uh, crystal loving folks. And I'm, I'm just joking. You know what I mean? People who are not necessarily Christians, but are into mindfulness and kind of working on your mind. They say, I mean, it's a thing. It's a gratefulness, right? They're grateful for the things that they go through that. I think that that's a, I think that that should be something that we should all should embrace regardless of our creed or religion is to be thankful, whether it's to God or the universe or to your toaster or whatever it is that you happen to, uh, to work, just thankful that you, your feet hit the floor for another day. You're thankful for the opportunity to make the best of it. And, uh, I agree totally. And starting your day with faith, not fear. And that to me is, is fundamental to everything that I try to do. Not perfect, but everything I attempt to do is started from a place of faith, not fear in this new cycle. not even a new cycle. Can you imagine if there had been CNN <clears throat> during Genghis Khan's, you know, terrorizing <laughs> the world or, or what have you? I mean, you know, it's it's not just the new cycle. The world has always been and is now even, you know, a wonderful 
magical, amazing place to live, but it can also be hell on earth. And it depends upon your perspective. And um, what I actually wanted to talk to you about today is just we're already talking about it, which, but I was going to headline this, whose fault is it anyway? Subtitle, who cares? Right. Because it's irrelevant whose fault the national debt is. I'm reading a biography written by Art Bell in 1995, and, and you and I probably are both huge Art Bell radio coast to coast fans. And, and he started not his radio career, but he started his talk radio career in Anchorage, actually, um, in 1973, 1974, somewhere in there. Anyway, long story short, 1995, 20 years after he was in Alaska, 20 years later, he's writing his biography and he's talking about the direction of our country and the concerns he's got for our kids and the ideas that we're taking away a set of standards we're taking away ambition and goal setting. We're taking away the ability to compete because we're giving everybody ribbons and yada yada, participation trophies. And and, and I'm reading, I'm thinking, wait a minute, that's the year my youngest daughter was born, 1995. Interesting, because I so often jokingly will tell my uncle and my dad if we're out fishing, like, you know, we'll be talking about something like that. Why don't you? You boomers, man, this is all your fault. How did you let this country get here? Boomer. Like, wait a minute. Boomer. Mm-hmm. I was in a full-on adult with two children, a career. Now, you know, I'm part of it. So whose fault is it? Who cares? You want to know whose fault it is when you're in a fender bender, you know, murder. You typically want to get to the bottom line. Of right, right. Whose fault right. is this? But, but generally speaking, I, I look at fault finding as a sport. There's victims on the field playing the sport, but also – if you're not that victim, you don't identify that victim mentality, you might still be a spectator in the stands, right. watching the fault finding, watching the game take right. place. When when the reality is we can do that or we can look for solutions and take responsibility for what we've got. You mentioned it earlier. Your mindset is 100% in your control. So you can take time to look at an issue, watch your favorite news program, listen to your favorite radio program, look at a website or two, gather some wool, if you will, and then go make something of it critically in your own mind. Come up with your solution. What can you do about it? What can you do with it? That's what you can do. We're watching Senator Biden, or excuse me, President Biden. Does he know he's president? President Biden, Senator Sullivan, Senator Murkowski, Senator um, uh, all of them, Schumer, all of them taking us, Mitch McConnell, all of us taking us to the ebb of World War III. It's bending us in our gener- our, you know, for three, four generations into major debt beyond anything our grandparents would have recognized. And yet, there are people finding their fortunes right here, right now, today. There's always been throughout time, terrible things happening. And yet, you still have a race to run. You still have to do what you do and create something in the world. I, I for example, I'm still writing. I'm still creating my own radio programs and content. I'm still running my businesses. Still looking forward to investing more this year yet in my own backyard. All of this, all the while, I know our own two senators are spending more money than than we could even fathom, are pushing us and rattling the war savers right in our own home state. And yet I'm doing what I can, but then I'm going back to what it is I need to do. And, uh, for example, locally. Are we, are we focused, so hyper-focused on the national and global geopolitics that what's roosting right there in your own backyard? For example, at Homer, I'm doing everything I can to talk to our mayor and other people about not spending us into uh, $280 million worth of debt for our harbor. Right. Let's, take a, let's pull back on the stick. 
let's collectively as a group of people here pull back on that stick for a minute and really analyze that and critically think about it. So what can you do about it? What can you do with it? And then get back to work, do, live your life and enjoy it and look for the good because it's all around you. Uh, we could probably retitle this show, Don't Get Stuck in the Blame Game, right? I mean, that's kind of, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, you talk about victimhood and victim mentality and a lot of that stuff. We complain about that. Those of us who are on the more conservative side, we talk about that a lot. But at the same time, like you said, we are, are we are willing spectators sometimes in finding blame. Uh, and there are places for, you know, who's responsible for what, but definitely not in the overall picture. What we could be responsible for is changes in our local community that's i mean and and somebody said earlier we were talking about some of this stuff and and they basically said well it's because they're focused people are focused more on the national you know doom scrolling the national uh the the national level stuff and that's what i discovered years ago is that you know i could sit on facebook or youtube or twitch or twick tiktok or whatever and just doom scroll all day long about everything that's bad that's coming or i could go out and i could work on something locally take responsibility for it and not place blame just basically do something i mean i think when we get stuck into that high you know kind of well who's responsible for it um you know we have to identify a problem but at the same time to mm-hmm. get focused on it and not do anything about it is that's the worst. You're baked in a squat. You're not doing yeah. anything. You could blame all you. Yes, I mean, if you're going to fix a problem, you got to identify who's the pro- what's the problem, where's it go, what is the blame. But are you just going to sit there and complain about who's responsible for it, or are you going to do something about it with it or about it, and and be it local or statewide or your county or borough wide or nationally or or globally? What can you do about it or with it? Then do it, as you just said, or say it. If it needs to be said, go go to a public forum or say it or write about it, be it in the newspaper or write your book, tell your story, put your uh, opinion into the world, teach it, pray about it from a state of faith, not fear. These are all things that are well within our, our reach. Um, I've stopped attempting to communicate with some of our, our, our you know statewide politicians uh, and started reaching out to others. It's like, okay, I'm not going to keep beating my head against that wall, right. but I could do something over here. So I'm pivoting. I'm going to pivot. I'm going to do what I can over here. Right. Um, same thing within business, investments, all of it. You know, I don't know really who's at fault 100%, but I'm paying attention to what the Fed's doing. I'm paying attention to what uh, monetary policy is. I'm paying attention to what China is doing relative to Juan or Juan, whatever their their currency is, as they try to replace the dollar as the reserve currency of the world. I'm paying attention to all of it, but I'm not going to lose sight also on what it is that I'm doing because in my own backyard lies a fortune, and if I don't don't pay attention to it, it'll either slip through my fingers or pass me by. However, I want to be aware of what's happening. What can I do with it? I'm pivoting how I invest. That's what I'm doing with that information versus just the sport of yelling at my TV and complaining about people that I'll never meet. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, But again, all days should start with thankfulness, you know, mindfulness. We should, you know, we we, again have that little have that little self-talk as you sit on the edge of the bed or as you're brushing your teeth or shaving in the mirror in the morning and, you know, and be thankful. And then again, stop looking for blame. Go be the change that's kind of trite, but go be the change in the world you'd like to see. Right. I mean, it, it, I guess it's trite, but it's the same time. It's, it's true. Go be the change you want to see in the world. 
Yeah, I agree. And read biographies. There's, um, I'm looking around my library right now, and, and some of the, my favorite books are biographies. One amazing book, or actually, one amazing man. If you want to read about troubled times, oh, it's never been worse in our country. I beg you to go read a couple of books uh, about Abraham Lincoln and just the resolve that that man had and the, the courage. And he was nothing special. I mean, he was, but he wasn't special. He just he stood up at, a, at his time and did what he could where he was. And you have the same power within you. But if you want, you want to really feel like, how can I look forward? Look backwards for a minute and read some of these biographies. Um, and, and I think you'll be inspired to figure out where you're supposed to go from here. Chris Story, the man from Homer, author of The Backyard Millionaire, um, also The Making of Man, and his latest book, which uh, I just got an advanced reader copy of, uh, The Watchman, the second in the Jacob Mann series. Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, breaking that down and getting into it, uh, doing an a audiobook of it and more. Plus, of course, his uh, radio show and his uh, Millionaire Minutes and more. You can find it all at ilovehomeralaska.com, ilovehomeralaska.com. Chris Story, the uh, man from Homer. Thank you, my friend, for coming on board. You are the man. Thank you, and, Michael. And I, I do blame you. I, You are the – it's your it's your <laughs> fault. So, All right. Yeah. Hey, thanks uh, for coming on board. Folks, we're out of time. we got to go. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-Based, Free Thinking Radio. is that? Common Sense. Regularly heard on American Radio. Michael Radio. Chris Story uh, stays with us here for just a minute. Um, you're right, Chris, because I forget to do that. I mean, I'll be honest, the last uh, couple months it's been a little bit of a slog around here. Uh, got a lot of, got a lot of things going on, a lot of things happening, uh, in work and business and life and in politics and everything else. And sometimes I just wake up and I'm just like, Oh God, I just want to, I just want to go back to bed and roll over, uh, you know, and do that. But it, it does take, uh, it does take a decision. It takes a decision to make it, to make it happen. I love, um, Seth Godin's got a book called The Practice, and I don't know if you're a Seth Godin fan or not, but he's written a lot of great books, and he sort of started the whole email marketing thing, whether you like email marketing or not. It, it began with him, but he, he wrote this book in 2020 called The Practice, and essentially, you think about doctors, lawyers, you know, um, certain professions that have a practice. You have a practice, and within your practice, within your life, within the scheme of of how you live and what you do, you have full control over how you practice what it is you do or don't do by choice. And so, yeah, it, it is easy to get mired down into, boy, just the, the neg- I was reading the other day, and I, you and I both read this book many times, Think and Grow Rich, and Napoleon Hill breaks down, and I, and I really read it differently this time than I ever have before, the seven negative emotions and the seven positive emotions and there's obviously millions of each but these are the top seven and the top positive and negative but this whole point in the chapter is to describe how you program your subconscious mind and everything comes through the filter of emotions be they negative or positive and we have to push the positive emotions and the thoughts into the subconscious because naturally we tend to lean negative it's human nature 
be it survival instincts, whatever. It's just the way it is. And so it's just one of those things that's like, wait a minute, be observant, minimal observancy in your own life and go, wait a minute. Oh, I, I know what's going on. I, I, I'm not pushing as many positive emotions into my subconscious. Ergo, I'm getting back what I'm the negativity because it's just natural. Everybody, right. I think, has a, a little bit more of a tendency one way or another. I tend to be a pretty positive person, but there are times that I can lean towards that negativity and go, wait a minute, I got to pull back here. Yeah, I see what's going on and start well, really programming what, what I read and what I say. Right. Well, that goes back to the law of attraction, right? I mean, the law of attraction is, you know, you you are attracting uh, what you're focusing on. And if you're focusing on the negative, if you're, fo oh, I'm so, if you're the human E or, Oh, my life is so bad. I just wish that I could have said I wish I had the thing. You know, you're going to attract that. And if you are in the positivity, uh, if you're on the positive side of things, if you're the chipper uh, Pollyanna kind of uh, everything's great thing, um, then you have a tendency to attract more of that to yourself than mm -hmm. the than the other side. Because I think it's because you see it. It's all about perception at that point. If you are positive, then you're perceiving more of the positive. The negative's still there. You're just you're filtering it out. If you're negative and you you miss the positive because it's all being you're expecting. It's an expectation and a perception thing. And maybe it's comforting to learn or to understand or receive that information that oh, it's natural. The negative tendencies that's natural. We look for that in a way of survival. That's that's baked in. It's built in. Here's here's what you can do about it. Don't, don't, you know, don't blame yourself going back to our topic. Don't, don't play the blame game. Who cares? Who cares why you're negative? Okay, understand it's more natural to be that way. Now, let's pull back over here and program your subconscious mind with positive, um, affirmative, positive emotions. And just understand, <laughs> oh, okay, if you're off course, that's, this is why. Yeah. Uh, Jim says in the chat room, he says, I'm positive. We're doomed. Um, a <laughs> little bit, a little bit of everything. I'm positive that we're doomed, but, uh, yeah, well, I mean, <clears throat> again, you, you gotta, you gotta accentuate the positive, eliminate the negative, uh, you know, and it's, uh, your life mm. is better for it. I mean, you may not become a zillionaire. You may not uh, have everything you absolutely want, but at least I would rather be positive in life, uh, than negative because even when times are tough. Uh, it's a little better outlook. You at least have something to look forward to. You got it. Yeah, it's like Zig Ziglar said about the little boy. He came home and said, Dad, I'm afraid I flunked the math test. He said, son, that's negative. Be positive. Dad, I'm positive I flunked the math test. <laughs> exactly. I'm positive that we're doomed. That's uh, that's the thing. You know, I'm positive. But uh, I, appreciate, uh, I appreciate it, my friend. You, uh, as always, bring in some good input. And uh, like I said, I got my nugget up front this morning. So I appreciate you uh, appreciate you coming on board and uh, and sharing with us. And uh, I haven't cracked open the book yet, but I'm looking forward to uh, taking a look at the Watchmen here uh, this week and uh, getting Thank started you. on I think that. You're so, gonna love it. Yeah, some good characters for you to, uh, some, to act out. It's some good characters. You're all from down south. It'll be fine. Come <laughs> over here, boy. You got a right pretty mouth. Uh, it'll be fun. Uh, all right. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Chris. I appreciate it, my friend. I'll talk thank you, Michael. I'll talk to you later. Uh, Chris Story, uh, the man from Homer, uh, our guest here on the program today. Uh, okay. Hey, guess what? Time to jump back into it. Should we do phones or should I just rant? I don't know. You guide me. Let's get to it. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense Radio. 
The Michael Duke Show, proudly splitting the left versus right uh, dichotomy. Yeah, I had to look that word up too. I don't think it means what he thinks it means. Here he is though, that guy, Michael Dukes, the one with the show. That's right, the one with the show, that would be me, the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Um, you know, I just don't have the... I was going to talk some more about private property rights and about this new idiotic bill from uh, Forrest Dunbar, this blight tax. But... Um, I just I don't want to get I don't want to get uh, I don't want to get all turned up about this. I don't want to get all agitated again near the end of the show, especially after that nice uh, that really nice conversation with Chris Story. Uh, I mean, we got, we got to look at things in a more positive light. I, it, it doesn't mean that you ignore the doesn't mean that you ignore the negatives. It doesn't mean that you don't acknowledge that there are things out there that are bad. It just means that you don't dwell on them and you don't, I guess, look for it. You've, you, try and, you try and find some positive aspects in every situation. Try and find the silver lining in every cloud, so to speak. So uh, while I was going to go ahead and go full tilt boogie on, um, on the – on the uh, the blight tax, maybe we'll save that for tomorrow morning, and I can get all worked up about it then. Maybe, maybe, maybe that'll be it. Um, but I think what I'll do this morning is I will open up the phone lines and talk with you uh, about whatever it is you want to talk about. Um, uh, whatever whatever thoughts or comments you want to make this morning, I'll go ahead and uh, we'll we'll get that we'll get that rolling on. How about that? How about that? We'll talk about those things. Uh, maybe we could talk about uh, the guests for the show. Uh, yesterday, it was a very interesting conversation with James Bartlett, who is an author uh, from Los Angeles. He's not an Alaskan author, but he has written about Alaska. And his book um, yesterday, The Alaskan Blonde, I thought that was a fascinating discussion. I really, really enjoyed that. And I'm working on getting more Alaskan authors or authors who are writing about Alaska to come on the program to talk about some of these things because I think that they're I think it's fascinating. I think it's what I, I really enjoy is folks who are from outside the state writing about Alaska because they've got a unique perspective. And uh, I think that that is um, I think that's cool. I think that's very, very cool. And so I I would love to I would love to uh, uh, hear what your thoughts are on that. Did you enjoy yesterday's guest? Did you enjoy it when we had Mark Cameron on? who is the Alaskan author who writes for the Tom Clancy estate. Um, you know, what other suggestions do you have for non-political um, guests on the program? Because I think, again, uh, you know, we can't be 100% all about politics. And I know Jerrica in the chat room is going to start talking about food security. We do need to talk about food security. We do need to talk about, um, uh, we do need to talk about, uh, you know, how do we spur agricultural on in the state, especially when we're talking about market forces? Um, you know, we, we talk a lot about how all the money leaves the state uh, in the form of, uh, 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 of dollars that are going outside to pay for food and agriculture out there. But at the same time, uh, how do we find a way to encourage 
you know, new Alaskan agriculture in the faces of market forces. If it's cheaper to make it outside, if it's easier, because cheap and easy is the problem, right? Cheap and easy is what drives the market. And so if it's cheaper to ship a bushel of rutabagas up here from Washington state than it is to grow it here in our own backyard, I mean, there's a benefit to obviously, obviously having them here. There's a benefit to that. But at the same time, many people are only going to care about the bottom line. Many people are only going to care about how much does it cost me to put that rutabaga on the table. And, um, I, you know, I think that that's a, I think a, maybe it needs to be an exploration of new technologies, you know, indoor greenhouses or hydroponics or, Something else, you know, we you know, vast spaces that could be done where we can grow year round instead of maybe it's not just old fashioned rototilling and farming and, you know, plowing and cultivating in, in the regular old fields like they started here at the at the Palmer at the colony. Right. When they started the colony down here uh, and the agriculture, maybe that's different. Maybe somebody gets on the cutting edge of lab grown meat instead of raising cattle. I don't know. I mean, what is it? But there's got to be some answers in there. So, yeah, I think that uh, I think that uh, we should have a discussion on food security uh, and the challenges. I mean, I can tell you right now, the biggest challenge with food security and creating food. I don't know. What do we call it? Sustainability. I mean, I kind of hate that word because it's been overused. But at the same time, uh, it has to do with, uh, um, you know. Uh, I just don't know if it has to do with uh, with the the free market uh, monies. That's really, if we don't take that into effect, it's going to be uh, into account. That's going to be an interesting discussion. Um, oh, by the way, somebody dropped me a, a I needed to, uh, <laughs> somebody says, ooh, lab-grown meat. I know, it's not It's not something that I would, I'm just saying there's new things to be talked about. Uh, but Timothy dropped me a winter weather advisory now in effect from 4 p.m., to 10 p.m. on Wednesday, there's a winter weather advisory for the middle Tanana Valley, uh, up to six inches of snow, three to six inches of snow. Travel could be very difficult. It's expected to develop this afternoon and continue into Wednesday evening. Heaviest snow is going to be north of Fox, but Fairbanks, you guys can expect another at least three inches on what is uh, some people are calling the second winter. Oh, maybe he hasn't heard of second winter. Have you heard of second winter? You got first winter, then you got second winter. That's what we're in right now. I mean, my gosh, I could see all the roads in my neighborhood the other day, and now it's all snowy and icy again. It was such a tease. I'm like, you're killing, you're killing me. I'm just, you're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me. Um. Anyway, I really enjoyed, um, I really enjoyed that interview yesterday. Um. With uh, James Bartlett uh, and uh, Mark, so I'm so I'm still working on some other ones, um, and uh, we're going to uh, we're going to see if we can come up with some more lifestyle type interviews here. Um, I guess that's what we would call them lifestyle interviews in the next uh, in the next few uh, in the next few weeks because there is more to life than politics. I'm just telling you that for nothing. All right. Um, all right. Well, let's go to the phones. I think we've got time for one call here. Let's see who's on the line and what they want to talk about. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling Hello, from? Hello, Mike. This is Jason calling from Fairbanks. Hey, Jason. What's on your mind, my friend? 
Well, I heard you're talking about food security in Alaska. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some months ago, I'd sent you some information on that. Never heard back from you about it. I'd emailed you information on, you know, of the folks who, uh, like Professor Gerard O'Neill, who advocated building space colonies in the 1970s and 80s. They also pointed out that the agricultural modules they designed, since they're designed to replicate Earth conditions, can be used anywhere on Earth, no matter what the climate, to produce any kind of crop at any time of the year, even in the middle of winter. And that's something we could do up here. And with enough of those, we could grow our own crops, you know, anything from tropical to Arctic that we would like here, right here locally, and in, in, the, and in the whole state of Alaska, of course. In fact, I even sent you a link to a book that described that in detail, but again, I never heard back from you. Well, I apologize. Yeah, I apologize, Jason. I may have missed that email. I get a lot of email every day, so I may have missed that email, but you're right. right. I mean, we're going to have to start thinking outside the box, uh, like I said, whether it's hydroponics or whether it's... Uh, you know, indoor greenhouses, warehouse greenhouses, you know, or whatever. There's going to be, yeah, we're going to have to do something. Energy, of course, is going to be the big condition on a lot of those things because to heat and light those kind of facilities, it takes a lot of power and it takes, it's kind of expensive. Does it become cost effective? I mean, those are all great questions. But you're right, Jason, we should talk about that. Thank you for your call. I'm sorry we're out of time. We got to go. The Michael Duke Show. Be kind, love one another, live well. Okay, well, that does it for today. I'm kind of glad I didn't. Uh, kind of glad I didn't go on a full rant. I get a little worked up over some of those things. Yep, geothermal. That's another way. I know. I I remember meeting a guy about 20 years ago that heated his house with a geothermal loop. I thought that was the most fascinating thing I'd ever seen. Um, yeah, I mean, earth sheltered greenhouses, geothermal loops, solar. Uh, you know, extra things for a day. I mean, there's all kinds of things. It's uh, it's interesting stuff. But uh, it's a. I think it's a bigger discussion than what we what we have. Yeah, yeah, we can use solar for like 10 minutes in the middle of winter. We can use solar, but there you go. Oh, you're right. This might be third winter. This is. Haven't you heard of third winter? Huh? Um. All right. Well, I appreciate uh, appreciate you guys coming on board. And having a good, most of you anyway, some of you didn't have a good time, but you still keep coming back. You must be glutton for punishment. That's all I can say. We'll be back tomorrow. Mike Shower should be our guest. Fingers crossed. We'll see what happens. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Have a great day.
shed our terrestrial radio skin. And now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show.